The gospel today is from the book of Luke, the 24th chapter. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of us, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke bread. He took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you all and peace in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. In Pastor Beth's living room, there hangs a frame. And in that frame are the words... Abundant life in unexpected places. And around that frame are the photos that prove these words are true. 
There's the man that you started dating and later married who happened to attend the church that you ended up being called as a pastor. There's the kids who stop the demands of ministry from becoming all-consuming, keeping you grounded in the work and grace that is given to us on a day-by-day basis. There's the dad who raised you with the gifts of confidence and compassion and curiosity. And even as he lay dying, those gifts were still bearing fruit in you. They propelled you into your role as lead pastor at Mount Olivet. Unexpected places and yet abundant life, or perhaps abundant life because of the unexpected places. Now, it's been a long time for all of you, but perhaps you remember that when you walk into Mount Olivet, there is a wall right in front of you, and on that wall, we've plastered our church's mission statement, finding our place in God's unfolding story. It's a good summary of who we are and what we try to do here. But it would be enriched, I believe, by the words from Pastor Beth's living room. Those framed words would give it the specificity it needs. Because yes, we know it's our lifelong call to find our place over and over in God's unfolding story. But it's a bit hard to know when we've exactly found it. And your framed words, I believe, give us the answer. We know we found our place in God's unfolding story when we stumble upon life that is equal parts unexpected and abundant. Beth, you know this yourself. The evidence isn't hanging in your living room or plastered in the Welcome Center. It's sitting right on top of your desk. A photo of a purple flower. You took it when you found yourself in an unexpected place. Suddenly alone and directionless, your life turned upside down by the end of a marriage, shattered and jagged like the landscaping rocks that surrounded your house. But abundant life, new life still came rising. No seed had been planted among those stones. No can had been brought out for watering. And yet, amidst that lifelessness, bloomed that beautiful purple flower. And you saw it, and you noticed. And you thought, if God can grow something even here, then what could God be growing in me? That flower, it was small by the world's standards, but God made it big enough to set your life on a new track, and you found your place in God's unfolding story by going to seminary. Imagine how different all of our lives would be if that flower hadn't bloomed. 
Praise God for new life that rises from the ground. Praise God for abundant life in unexpected places. There is no landscaping rock in this passage from Luke's gospel. There is only the crushed gravel and compacted dirt of the road. But the road is still an unexpected place for a resurrection story like this. The road, then and now, is a place of uncertainty and vulnerability. It's less a place in its own right, and it's more of an in-between space. You leave the known place of safety when you get out on the road. You're exposed. You're in unfamiliar surroundings, and guards go up on the road. It's a place of tightness and suspicion and stress. It's not a place you linger. Because at its worst, the road can be a place of grave danger. And Jesus knows this. Earlier in this very gospel, he tells the story of a man who travels the road from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho. And he is stripped, beaten, and left for dead by robbers. And were it not for the kindness of a passing Samaritan, he surely would have died. Have you known the road? Have you traveled the in-between space? Have you been ripped from what you know to find yourself exposed in unfamiliar surroundings? Thrust out into the open where you realize just how vulnerable and fragile you are? I know you have. <laughs> The past four and a half years, I have stood as witness to the roads that you have unwillingly walked. There's that uneven road of health challenges. You feel helpless as you shuttle doctor to doctor. You anxiously await those test results. You do the dance of role reversals between parents and adult children. There's that frantic road of searching for support anywhere. And now, because your kid is having panic attacks, they're talking about suicide, or they're hiding the wounds of their bullying. There's the foggy road of learning to see the West Metro anew through the eyes of our community partners and realizing that this isn't just a place filled with fertilized lawns and Photoshop perfect Christmas cards. It's a place where people go hungry, where families are squeezed for rent, where women and children face violence in their own homes. And I've seen you walk that longest road from the back of the funeral chapel to the front, where your loved one lies cold and still in the outfit you picked out for them. My tenure here, it's been a road for our wider, common life, too. We've been exposed. There's been nowhere to hide from the news. We've been out in the open, hit by wave after wave of social upheaval. 
There hasn't been solid ground for you in the past four years. You've spent them figuring out how to talk to your in-laws who vote differently than you do. You've had to spend them relearning accountability as so many owned up to the sexual abuse they lived with for far too long. You spent them witnessing our youth do the thing that adults should have done long ago as they mobilized against mass shootings and climate change and racism. And of course, you've spent it adjusting to the pandemic that took away life and church and community as we knew it, and so many people before their rightful time. These years haven't been a stroll in the park, have they? They've been a long walk on a hard road. And we preached on all of it. And you stuck around. And then there are the literal roads of death we've seen. The roads in my neighborhood in North Minneapolis, they're filled with Humvees and armed soldiers. And I've got to say, it does not make me feel less safe or more safe. And they're deployed because of the unrest on the roads after the killing of Dante Wright. And before him, it was George Floyd. And before him, it was Philando Castile. All three black men from Minnesota killed by police on the side of the road. For people of color, the road of danger is no metaphor. It's a privilege for me as a preacher to get to play around with the image. Every road traveled for many in our community is a reminder of the warped and cruel reality that this land is not made for you and me. A reminder of the discrepancies of power and of that unjustly short distance between life and death. And by now, we really ought to know that when these killings happen, it's less important, less productive for us to zoom in exactly on how it went down and more important for us to zoom out, see the impact, the ripple on the community, see the wounds that are getting reopened before they have a chance to close. and see the tiny window that we who are white are given into a road that our whiteness wants to hide from us. The road of racial trauma and systemic injustice that black, indigenous, and other people of color walk on every day and the pain that that deals out. So the road, by any standard, is not a place we should associate with resurrection. But it is this unexpected, uncertain place that the risen Christ chooses to walk with his disciples. He comes near. He listens as they speak the truth of their pain. 
He helps them see their story within the story of scripture. And then he takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it out. Presence, listening, storytelling, bread. You'd expect flashier and more miraculous actions from a man who just got up from the grave. But Jesus seems at home in these simple human practices, even in his resurrection. Yeah, we might want to see strength and might, but it's presence, listening, storytelling, bread. And they seem too small, don't they? The road is too rugged, the world too cruel. But Jesus trusts these humble habits to contain his abundant life. He chooses to make his resurrection life known through the earthiest practices. And though these actions he performs are small by the world's standards, God makes them big enough. And they set the disciples on a new track abundant life in an unexpected place. The big reveal comes in the breaking of the bread, of course, but the disciples cannot deny that their hearts had been burning within them the whole time. They realized that the road, the place of danger and fear and sorrow, had become a place where they had been nourished by God that their guard had dropped just a hair. And that was enough for the abundant resurrection life of Christ to enter fully and freely. They had been so extravagantly provided for, so seen, so loved through these simple practices that they willingly set back out on the road right then and there to tell their friends about the abundant life that sought them out in this unexpected place. Presence, listening, storytelling, bread. These are the practices of resurrection. And if they're good enough for Jesus, then they're good enough for us. And I got to tell you, I believe in the resurrection because I have witnessed the power these small things contain. I've witnessed them in you, Mount Olivet, making yourself present in worship or to your friend in need, listening for God in prayer or to your own heart changing telling the stories of scripture from the pulpit or from the past week as you mingle the bread of communion or of the community meal. These ordinary habits done over and over again in community, these building blocks of our common life, they contain far more than the world gives them credit for. Like the disciples, our eyes are kept from seeing their power most of the time.
But then, every so often, again like the disciples, by grace our eyes are opened, and there we stand, and we recognize how much new life they've brought us. How they've changed us in ways we could never ask or imagine. I've watched this new life take root in you, dear Mount Olivet. The amount of healing I've seen you take on in yourselves. The courage you've shown. The instinctual gut compassion you have for your neighbor. The wisdom you share at just the right moments. The generosity flowing the willingness you have to reconsider, to change your mind, the confidence with which you live your callings, the imagination you have for what the church can be, and the dream that burns in your hearts for a renewed creation and a world made whole. It's amazing, and it's holy. Where did it come from? Where did you get all this? The simple human practices of resurrection. Presence, listening, storytelling, bread. It's what we do here. We practice resurrection. To others, to us sometimes it looks like routine, like a chore, like going through the motions. But you know that there is power here. You know that these things unexpectedly contain abundant and risen life. It's why you each have stayed, even though the roads we've walked together have been so troubled. You've learned how to be nourished on the road. Nourished by presence and listening and storytelling and bread. Am I naive enough to believe that that's enough? <laughs> that that's enough to shape us into God's people and provide for us in the uncertain places? Am I naive to believe that that's what's going to carry us to Massachusetts and anchor me as I start a new role and weave us into a new community to give and receive hospitality? Am I naive to believe that they'll renew the earth? That they'll heal the centuries of racism and the trauma it brings? That they'll bring peace to the world? That they'll raise the dead? Perhaps I am. But if God can use a small flower blooming in the rocks to call a pastor to ministry and shape the life of a whole community, then God can surely use these practices of resurrection to feed us on the road until the earth becomes whole. Mount Olivet, I am so very sad to leave you, but I trust that you and I will each find life on the road because if nothing else, the past four and a half years have taught me that God is a provider. 
who wants to feed us day by day and who gives us food, eternal love bound up in earthly things. So may this be how we walk the road. God gracefully giving us unexpected and abundant life as we find our place together in God's unfolding story. Amen.